Hi, friends. I talk a lot about systems thinking on this podcast and thought I'd share one of the most potent actions you can take if you feel moved to be a different kind of leader for the 21st century. At Small Giants Academy, we developed our answer to the traditional MBA. We call it the MBE, a mastery of business and empathy. The MBE is a truly groundbreaking program which equips leaders with the tools, strategies, networks and philosophies to lead with purpose in these troubled times. Applications are open now for 2025. So head to smallgiants.com.au forward slash MBE to learn more and sign up. Hi, I'm Lauren Hill, and this is the Dumbo Feather Podcast. I'm a surfer, author, and host of the Water People Podcast. Today, I'd like to share with you an essay I wrote for the rest issue of Dumbo Feather Magazine. It's called Minding My Mothers. The living world moves in pulses. Gusts of wind are punctuated by relative stillness. Musical notes resonate within the padding of silence. Rest and motion require one another for balance, beauty, and life. Yet, somehow we've built a culture that demands the impossible, leaving the tap on and emitting our own energy in constant deluge. I watched my single mother, Megan, attempt to do this, to create a home for us, pay the mortgage, pack the lunches, make the deadlines, and keep it all tidy with two hands alone. As a young mother, she committed to doing better than her parents had, and so became mother and father, provider and nurturer, breadwinner and housewife, spelling quiz quizzer, 401k saver, and positive reinforcement style parent. She worked two or more jobs at a time to gift us a life of relative abundance. My mom worked and whittled away her energy until self-medication became the only respite from the overload of a frenetic nervous system. There wasn't time for rest, so numbness or disappearance had to suffice. At 56, on the eve of retirement, Crippling illness made her stop. She'd never live the future she'd so diligently saved for. The medical system offered little definitive diagnosis, but the cause seemed obvious. Relentless cultural and economic systems that never allowed her to get ahead enough to find her center or properly rest. Spaciousness was a distant mirage in the oasis of retirement. While my mom worked unthinkable hours, clocking off at one job at 5 p.m. and clocking in to her nighttime gig from 6 p.m. until close, I spent a lot of time alone, not in a bad way, 
It was precious time. Mischievous time. Sometimes bored time. I adopted other families to fill the space. My teenage best friend's mom, Linda, became my other mother. Hers was a life and a home devoted to ease, rest, and play. Linda free-schooled her daughter. School basically included painting, sewing, reading, and surfing. People would ask what Linda did for a living, and she'd respond with a French mouth fart, noting that no one could possibly afford what she's worth. Linda stiff-armed patriarchal systems, like the economic model that doesn't value the work of caregivers. She raised her daughters at home, mostly divorced from clock time, intent on never allowing school to get in the way of experiential education. Surrounded by the monoculture of perfectly mown Floridian lawns, Linda forged a little oasis of edibles in her backyard. Nourished with her own menstrual blood, squeezed from the natural sea sponges she used to capture it. She was frugal and lived for decades on modest savings, never paying for home insurance, but always generously feeding so many of us kids in the neighborhood. If my biological mother taught me the value of work, of focused energy, and indirectly the dangers of unrelenting effort, then my other mother taught me that time scarcity is a kind of impoverishment that can affect us on every level of our being, from the personal to the global. Owning our own time is amongst the greatest forms of wealth. But her rest and protest approach of complete retreat from the world also felt somewhat lacking. The middle path came from my third great maternal figure, the ocean. I've made my life and livelihood as a surfer, due largely to the encouragement of both Linda and Megan. Among its many violent and tender teachings, The ocean has shown me the value of respecting both rhythm and rest, of listening to my intuitive whisperings, which can be life-saving in wild conditions. There's time for effort, scratching for the horizon at full speed to summit the crest of an impeding set wave. And then there's time for absolute surrender. In the underwater tumult, of a powerful wipeout. A life dedicated to riding waves requires enough space to wake up most days and sense the happenings of the living world, to feel the wind, notice the direction of swell lines. This is slow local knowledge. Forecasts give an indication of what may be, but storms and winds are still wonderfully unpredictable. We have a reason to pay close attention, and that honed attention earns us a sense of belonging in both community and ecology. If you've ever had the good fortune of watching unbroken swell lines sweep shoreward from the inky deep, then You've witnessed the spaciousness that defines the movement of wavelengths through water. 
whether oceanic, gravitational, light, or sound, the vertical peaks and troughs of waves are measured by their distance from rest. I'd always felt that water had something to teach us about a restorative middle path of being soft but strong. Water arrests us, or as Dr. Wallace J. Nichols writes, water meditates us with its scintillating unpredictability. In his book, Blue Mind, Dr. Nichols outlines the vast cognitive, social, physical, and spiritual benefits of being in, around, and under healthy water systems. In a recent interview for my Water People podcast, he explained, the best way to understand blue mind is to talk about red mind. Red mind is kind of our new normal, our hyper-connected, anxious, or stressed out state. It's go mode. We're overstimulated, overcommitted. It's not all bad. It's how we get things done. It's kind of our fight or flight response, but in hyper overdrive. Whether it's technology and screens or just lots and lots of information. When we're feeling overwhelmed, we double down on caffeine and Red Bull or whatever it is, then go harder. And that's encouraged. Sleeplessness, exhaustion. And if you stay in red mind too long, you'll end up in gray mind, which is burnout and breakdown and depression even. Dr. Nichols' antidote to the inhuman pace of modernity is a practice of what he calls blue mind, which is a mildly meditative state characterized by calm, peace, unity, and a sense of general happiness and satisfaction with life in the moment. We access Blue Mind by watching water ripple and bubble or taking advantage of our inbuilt mammalian dive reflex, a slowing of heart rate and other physiological responses, which switches on when we submerge in cool water. Dr. Nichols advocates cultivating a natural flow between red and blue mind states in which rest creates the space and the springboard for innovation and meaningful contribution. For me, these insights, along with Megan's sacrificial breadwinnering and Linda's rejection of the inhuman pace of modernity, beg the question, how can we create a healthier world if we aren't well in our own minds and bodies? Our cultures of overwork and underplay, of techno-overstimulation, but sensual deprivation, prime us for dissatisfaction, which predisposes us to consumerism and other systems that exploit our longing for wholeness and connection. To let watery bodies soften our senses is to work with our own bodily systems to pause, rest, reconnect. 
A playful, buoyant frolic can dissolve the internal chaos wreaked by structures and habits that push us beyond our own capacities. It pools in our bodies as resilience born of a nestling closer to the miraculous fluidity of the living world, where rest and readiness always exist in relationship. 